Welcome to Open to Wonder, the podcast where we wonder about all kinds of faith questions, big ones, small ones, weird ones, and hard to talk about in church ones. I'm Karen. And I'm Chris. This season, we're going beyond Sunday morning to explore how faith is formed during the hours we spend outside of the church's buildings and programs. If you've ever wondered how faith is both formed and lived out in daily life, you won't want to miss these conversations. So pull up a seat and wonder with us. Sunday morning worship shapes our faith, but so do the 167 other hours of the week. (laughs) In fact, our faith is formed every minute of every day, whether we are aware of it or not. In today's episode, Karen and I sit down for a candid conversation with Mike Hogater, director of the Center for Public Dialogue. We talk about what it actually looks like to live justly in our daily lives. Mike also shares how being an attentive listener formed his faith. And he gives us a glimpse about what gives him hope. We've been learning so much from Mike, and we think you will too. Open to Wonder, the Beyond Sunday edition, starts now. Today, we get to welcome Mike Hogaterp to our podcast here. Uh, Mike is a second-generation settler Canadian of European ancestry who is learning to embrace his responsibilities under the two-row wampum covenant and the Treaty of Niagara. He serves as the Ottawa staff for the CRC's Center for Public Dialogue and is a co-leader of the Justice and Reconciliation team in Canada. He's also a PhD student with NATES, an indigenous learning community, There, in accountability to Indigenous Christians, Mike is doing a dissertation on settler responsibility for reconciliation, with the CRC in Canada serving as his research case study. Mike and his team are excited about a project called Hearts Exchanged, a learning and spiritual journey that draws Reformed Christians in Canada into deeper connection to the call to reconciliation and new relationships with Indigenous neighbors. Welcome, Mike. Good to be here, Chris and Karen. We're glad you're here. I don't want to miss the opportunity to learn more about Hearts Exchanged. So I'm wondering if we can start with that today. I've been seeing a logo. I've heard a bit about it. Can you tell us more about why you're excited about it and why it's such an important project? Okay, so uh, beginning last October, uh, we kicked off uh, two pilot cohorts of Hearts Exchange, uh, which is a, a journey of, of, of learning uh, for reconciliation and uh, decolonization uh, by CRC uh, members in Canada. Um, and, and yeah, for folks connected to the CRC as well, not just mm-hmm. members. The the CRC in Canada has been invested in the truth and reconciliation journey for a long time, uh, you know, as as many as 50 years. Um, And that's most certainly deepened uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit 
and the testimony of uh, residential school survivors mm-hmm. uh, since 2006-07. Uh, that's been uh, an incredible testimony in shaping for, for the justice and reconciliation ministries. Uh, and by extension, it's, it's starting to have impact in, in congregations. Mm-hmm. Now, in that reality, uh, Karen and Chris, uh, tensions often come up. Um, and those tensions are rooted in what is, you know, a very common suspicion uh, about um, other ways of knowing and being, um, uh, of expressing faith, of, of understanding who Creator is. That reveals itself in what, what in, in PhD language, I, I say, is syncretic anxiety. Um, yeah. It's it's concern about the expression of faith in ways that look really different. Uh, from the way you and I in white dominant churches would experience faith. Right. Um, so uh, cultural expressions of faith that you might find in indigenous communities where uh, uh, prayer and ceremony is, is done in very different ways uh, than, than we would experience on a Sunday morning um, in, a, in a Christian Reformed church in suburban Canada. Um but those expressions of faith are deeply meaningful to, to Indigenous people. And for us as, uh, as CRC uh, folks, uh, there's much to learn from that experience and much to honor uh, in that experience. Where this, the posture of suspicion, uh, which has often been a knee-jerk, uh, means that we don't benefit from, from the gifts of that, that cultural expression. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you from my own experience that Honoring um, and uh, coming to understand those expressions of faith from Indigenous Christians has enriched my understanding of, of who Jesus is and what the gospel is. So, Karen, Hearts Exchanged is is now uh, a, a, a program, basically, that invites people into that conversation about understanding the reality of, of colonial history and its impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... Uh, how, how that works out in, in terms of understanding our identity as, as separate Canadians. And then what that says about our responsibility and kinship with, with Indigenous neighbours. You know, how do we be in relationship with that colonial reality? How can we be honest about it? And how can we find new ways to walk together? And that's, that's a spiritual journey yeah. as much as a political journey. And, and coming to a, a point of humility and understanding and relationship is the point. The pilot cohorts have run, they, they finished, and now we'll have a series of you know, 12, maybe even 14 new cohorts that are running uh, and facilitated by, by, by volunteers. Yeah, they'll, they'll run for the next uh, six, eight, 10 months. And then uh, the, the process will, will continue, culminating in what we're calling a commencement event, and the next uh, Canadian National Gathering, where we come together, you know, as a larger community to reflect on our responsibilities for reconciliation and decolonization uh, wow. as, as the church. So a, a profound and beautiful journey. It looks amazing. Um, uh, we will include uh, a link to where people can find out more about this. And then just to to tie it up before we get back to Chris's question. So it sounds like, Mike, that so my parents in their 80s could participate in this. My young adults could participate in this. You, Someone who's just like, I'm hearing about 
things at residential schools and this is new to me and I want to learn more. So it's, it's, it sounds like it's really open and invitational um, no matter where you are on understanding and and reconciliation. It's dip your feet in this and learn more. Yeah. Yeah. And, and be prepared to dig in deep and absolutely be, be prepared to be unsettled. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. We're going to, we're going to link to that because this is really important work. Thanks. I'm really curious just because of the word you used in there. And that's what, that's what caught my attention. What was you talked about how um, this whole journey for you already has enriched your experience by encountering these other cultural expressions around ceremony and prayer, things that might've made you feel uncomfortable before. Mm-hmm. Um, so could you, could you kind of walk us into that journey? What's that been like for you? Sure. Uh, well, here's here's where I'm going to be uh, pretty blunt. Um, okay. I'm uh, I'm 51 years old. Uh, and I've been a member of the Christian Reformed Church uh, for those uh, all those years. Um, my experience of, of the church, uh, and I've been you know bathed in in her uh, her embrace uh, that whole time. I mean, I'm a, I'm a a preacher's kid, uh, been right in, right in the system since, you know, the seventies. <laughs> um, my experience of, of the church through those 50 years has been one of, uh, of mediocrity and disappointment. Hmm. Um, that's, that's hard to say because it's my people, uh, in mm-hmm. my community. Um, so, you know, in the, in the wilderness that that evokes, um, I've uh, recognized uh, largely through uh, study that, that that something's missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's galvanized it for me has been actually the journey of, of truth and reconciliation. Hmm. Um, so I, yeah, by, by virtue of this work, I have the extraordinary privilege of, of uh, interacting with, with partners all the time. Um, and that includes Indigenous partners. Um, so, you know, on occasion, prior to the, the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, I, I heard the stories of survivors from time to time. Um, never in the, the level of depth and emotional intensity that you experience at a Truth and Reconciliation Truth and Reconciliation Commission national event. So in one anecdote, I had sat with Jillian Harris, who uh, is a survivor of the Mission Residential School uh, in Mission, B.C., uh, the St. Mary's Residential School in Mission, B.C. She's a a former chief of the Penelacan First Nation, which is in the news today. Um, And she uh, was also at the time a a student of theology, and a, and a human rights defender, and that's how I, I ran into her in, uh, in ecumenical tables. Anyhow, I show up at the Vancouver National Event in 2013, and here's Jillian, walks onto the stage for a commissioner sharing panel, and shares her story. And it was horrific. Uh, I had never heard this story, so I was, I was pretty emotional. Um, Jill shared a story of... Um, you know, pretty horrific sexual and emotional abuse at schools and then lateral violence in, in her home community, uh, all as a result of the experience of residential schools. Hmm. So a, a harrowing tale. And that was mar- remarkable about it um, was, was this. Um, at the end of her comments, Jillian said, um, 
directly to her first perpetrator, who wasn't in the room, but you get the point. She was speaking directly to him. Um, Today I give my give up my bondage to you, and mm. I pray and I pray that one day uh, you will have uh, the the courage to accept forgiveness of Creator and walk in the freedom that I walk in today. Um, wow! Oh. For, for me, that day uh, was extraordinary because Jillian, who should be angry. Mm-hmm. And and vicious towards that perpetrator, uh, in my rational mind, had a a presence of Christ-like grace and forgiveness that was just extraordinary. Now, I've talked about mediocrity and disappointment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in my smug arrogance, uh, it's it's easy to write off the church for its mediocrity. Mm-hmm. But if someone like Jillian can express a fundamental value of forgiveness and grace uh, and still uh, walk the path with the church, flawed as it is, mm-hmm. uh, how can I be so arrogant as to say, uh, yeah, the church is useless? Wow. Um, so Jillian uh, and many other elders um, have taught me um, that faithfulness is 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 a walk uh, in which you know we need to look for those those beautiful expressions of truth that come from surprising places. Um, yeah. And yeah, you know, I I believe much more deeply because of, of experiences like that, uh, and I have many of them, which is just an extraordinary gift in my own life. That's, that's what's drawn me into to Nate's um, and, uh, and, and many other uh, kinds of really formative experiences. What I'm hearing from you is someone who has taken intentionally a listening posture and who has a teachable spirit. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering how that shaped your faith, um, being a listener and and what what we the church can learn from that early on in my uh my my tenure here at the crc um i I had a mentor who uh was pretty well known at the time he's 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 now passed uh i consider him an elder uh, gerald Mm -hmm. yeah Um, gerald was uh an extraordinary man of of faith and, and biblical wisdom uh and minimal education, interestingly enough. Um, uh, but he had a, a depth of biblical wisdom that I found just extraordinary. Uh, and then an understanding of, of theology in the political world that was also just unmatched uh, in many ways. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he had an energy and an enthusiasm and a vision that, that was nothing short of inspiring. Anyhow, he, he said to me early on, um, you know, uh, it's not your job to change the world. Um, it's your job to, uh, to, to, to do your faithful bit and count on the fact that God's going to complete the work um, often through future generations. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that sort of formed a, a, a listening posture and an approximate posture recognizing, okay, you know, I can't hold these things so tightly that 
um, I'm assuming I'm making the change. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but that, um, you know, listening to the gifts of, of the elders uh, with constructive criticism, of course, um, and then recognizing, okay, my, my efforts are, are I mean, I'm doing my best, but they're going to be, they're going to be flawed. Right. So uh, honor the fact that, that others are going to refine it. Um, so that's that's a posture of humility as much as it is listening. Okay, mm-hmm. right. And then when it comes to justice work, um, you know, as a as an experience, we can't enter into justice work with an assumption that we have the right ideas, um, mm. because people who struggle with injustice often have a perspective and under, an understanding of the realities of their experience that. Uh, is far richer and far deeper than than uh, you know me as a privileged person can understand. Right. So it's critical to shut up and listen. Yeah. Um, and particularly when you're working in a in a in a context of anti-racism and decolonization, you need to recognize that you know per the failure of political systems and church systems for that matter has been our um, unwillingness to listen to the perspectives of Indigenous people and people of color uh, about the challenges they face and the solutions that they believe um, are, are necessary. So uh, listening to their ideas and then uh, bearing witness to them politically and theologically, I think is a really critical spiritual discipline. Wow, yeah. Mm, I think in the course of what you just described, you named listening, you named humility, you named justice seeking, um, bearing witness, all as spiritual disciplines. Um, how, how, do you, how do you identify these things as spiritual disciplines and not just social work practices or not mm-hmm. just something that anybody can do regardless of faith? Um, what What kind of makes those things a a faith formative type posture for you. Right. Okay. Well, I, I, I find that a really interesting uh, confluence uh, between um, what I find to be the best of the reformed worldview. Uh, that is, you know, all of life is religion. Every square inch of creation is, is, is God's um, mm-hmm. and indigenous worldviews uh, that, that, don't see a separation between um, uh, spiritual and temporal mm. reality, right? Um, the, the great decolonial theorists uh, and, and elders often say um, there is uh, the, the, the tasks of reconciliation and decolonization are integrated spiritual and political tasks. Hmm. Um, so you know, to, to me, that sounds just like uh, a reformed worldview that all of life is religion. Um, yep. So, uh, recognizing that you know the the work of reconciliation, the work of justice, is a profoundly spiritual matter, a matter of the heart. Um, is um, I think um, kind of counterintuitive in a in a in a, in a post enlightenment secular uh, uh, worldview. And it, it, it challenges those status quos, I think, in healthy ways because it invites uh, 
openness to to other ways of knowing and understanding. Uh, mm-hmm. Particularly, you know, that whole idea of uh, the integrated reality of, 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 of spirituality, uh, land, uh, politics, uh, all of it. The word that's coming to mind for me is attentiveness as you're talking. Like there's a certain attentiveness in the moment to what's God saying and doing right here, right now. Um, who are these people that I'm with right here, right now? Like there's a, uh, the present is becoming richer or you're seeing multiple layers to the present um, that sometimes we, if we just think, wow, this is an ordinary task. I just need to get done. We're going to blow past. And yep. and so you're, you're describing something that seems to be a richer way of living in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Sure. Uh, I'm not sure it's an anecdote, but just uh, an impression. We in the CRC have a, a dear friend and brother, uh, Harold Rocher. Mm-hmm. Harold's the director of the Edmonton Native Healing Center and uh, um, a Cree fellow. Um, he's a survivor of the 60 Scoop. Uh, he okay. calls himself a dark-haired little Dutch boy. Uh, he speaks better Dutch than than most second generation um, <laughs> CRC folks in, in Canada. That's that's for sure. Anyhow, um, Harold has you know come to a, a deepening understanding of his Korea identity. And when you pray with Harold, you'll you'll notice his pattern. He always begins with gratitude, hmm. and. That disposition in, in, in prayer, just in his way of being, um, is uh, oh, it's 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 an extraordinary uh, expression of uh, of what it is to be in the world. Right? Um, I think Western worldviews tend tend to have uh, uh, an inclination to to want to fix what's wrong. Mm. Um, and that means, you know, institutionally, we often scurry after problem solving rather than focusing on what works, uh, focusing on the good assets that we have. So, you know, a lot of this reaches into, uh, asset-based community development kinds of things, but it has theological implications and it begins with that, uh, disposition, um, that attitude of, of gratitude. That's a terrible turn of phrase. <laughs> uh, Make a great poster, Ryan. though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, Harold's Harold's humble uh, gratitude disposition is is something that um, I, I find really profound because uh, it it emphasizes, uh, okay, uh, you know, God, we're grateful for the, the good things you're doing in our lives. We're grateful that the sun rose. And warm us up this morning, right? Mm-hmm. Wow, you know something that simple. Mm-hmm. So through that testimony, you know I've uh, I started exploring um, a little bit. Um, you you have both heard, and, and I'm sure our listeners will have heard uh, the, the practice of land acknowledgments. Yeah, um, so it's a really common thing here here in Ottawa. Uh, what is often said is. Uh, uh, we acknowledge the fact that we're on, on unceded Algonquin territory. Um, I was curious about that, so I, I connected with uh, some some people and resources uh, at some local uh, Algonquin First Nations. And in the process, I learned uh, a little more about their whole 
um, understanding of, of what that would mean. Right? Um, Algonquins have this profound understanding of, of relatedness. Okay, um, and their concept of relatedness connects to the watershed. Okay, so your relatives are the people, the animals, the plants, and the water within the watershed that you exist. So that's a pretty expansive wow. uh, set of relatives, yeah. right? And I think the other beautiful thing related to that is Algonquins have this wonderful attitude of, of again, gratitude towards their relatives, right? So uh, I'm drinking water here. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's from my relative, the Kitchissippi, the, the Great River, also known as the Ottawa River, right? This water gives me life, right? Uh, for the Algonquins, this water and that river is my relative. Um, mm. Now, that's a profound um, testimony of the interrelatedness of creation um, and the gift that it is, right? Um, that doesn't sound like animism to me. No. That's, that sounds like a celebration of creator's faithfulness, Um so just having that curiosity and, and probing these these you know wonderful cultural testimonies mm -hmm. is, is something that enriches um, an understanding of, of what it's to what it is to be in a place, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I mean, I, I bike along the river now and I say, "Hello, relative. Thank you." Yeah. Mike, you know, at the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned just. Um, the word mediocrity and, and disappointment um, in connection with with the church. And, you know, I, I, I think you have young adult kids. I do. And, and we have these conversations about church and whether to be a part of a church. And um, the church is right, particularly right now in Canadian history, there's um, an increased awareness of damage. Um that, that the church has done um, increased awareness among non-Indigenous peoples of that. Um, so I'm wondering, what would you say to someone who says, well, why should I stay? Mm -hmm. You know, wh what gives you hope? You've stayed, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why? Mm -hmm. um, well, that's current where I... I I tell stories uh, about what elders have said to me. Okay. Uh, right. Um, yeah. Uh, I stay because they, they say you have work to do. Um, All right. Um, so, so I honor that. Um, when it, when it comes to, to my kids and when it comes to um, young folks that I have relationships with, um, you know, those hard questions are common. Yeah. Um, I think what they're looking for um, is is an honest wrestling with some of these really um, existential questions, right? Um, uh, and you know, I I, I hear people um, uh, of of that demographic, um, you know, ask about something like hearts exchange, and they say, "Really, this is something that's happening in, in a church, right?" Uh, that gives me me some hope that okay you know the the seeds that that were planted I mean, sometimes fifty years ago for for this work to be happening today we're nurturing okay yeah um, with with the spirit's uh, encouragement and power 
uh, let me tell you the first cohorts of, of that that Hertz exchange process. The spirit was present across pixels and, and fiber optic lines, wow. some, sometimes thousands of kilometers apart. Um, extraordinary, and that's the power of the spirit, right? Yeah, um, and that's across generations. Mm. Um, and I think when we can tell those stories, right? Uh, look, we we took a seed. Uh, that was planted years ago. Uh, we've uh, worked with it prayerfully. Uh, we've nurtured it. We've uh, pruned it where we needed to, um, and and now it's it's bearing fruit. Um, and you know what? This isn't an easy journey. And don't expect right. answers. Uh, don't expect neat and tidy answers. Um, join us in well, what I call a a a. a, a a spiritual discipline of unsettlement. Do you think that's what makes it hard for people? Because we, I mean, it's easier to have easy answers and it's, and, and especially where we, everything is instant, right? I can Google that um, to wait for things to take 50 years to, to be seed planters. Yeah. Um, it's hard, right? Yeah. And that's, that's a hard story to tell. Um, but I, th- I think, you know, people need to recognize that meaningful change and sustainable change is often in dribs and drabs, and, yeah. and, um, you know, increments. Um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll often uh, explain that apartheid uh, uh, didn't fall when Nelson Mandela walked out of Robben Island. Uh, it, it, it fell, you know, over the course of, you know, 40 years of faithful little acts by, by people in the townships um, supporting um Steve Biko or, you know, uh, uh, something else, uh, uh, Desmond Tutu having the courage. It's rarely those luminaries. It's rarely the Martin Luther King Jr.'s. It's rarely the dramatic events of, you know, the, the Berlin Wall falling down. It's little acts compounded over many, many years. Okay? Just like Gerald Van de Zandy told Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And, I mean, I, I think we need to, to help folks understand that that's the stuff of, of meaningful change and recognizing those, those historic legacies as, as gifts to us uh, that need our critical discernment and our pruning when necessary. Uh, but those are gifts that we need to pay attention to. Mm. Um, and instantaneous change is, is, is a fallacy. It just is. Um, and that's... That's a tough thing to communicate, but we got to persist in it. Yeah. It it strikes me, Mike, that uh, what you're describing in terms of big systemic cultural change uh, in the hope that we need and the perseverance we need to to see kind of a, a vision beyond ourselves for that big cultural change, it actually applies to change in ourselves as well. Like, I mean, if you... If you took the full weight of what you knew, what you know now, and what you've come to understand now, and you put it back on your thirty-year-old self, you probably would have been overwhelmed and kind of crushed by the weight of of everything you've learned over these last twenty years and the way you've been formed. And in some sense, what you're describing is those little acts. It's it's a patient persistence or, or, you know, Eugene Peterson used that term, a long obedience in the same direction. Um, Mm -hmm. It it seems that part of this formative process of working out our faith and integrating it 
something of that has to be a, a giving grace to ourselves yeah. um, that we're unfinished and we're going to be messy along the way. And that's okay. Yeah. I, I, how do you, how do you find space to give yourself grace <laughs> in the midst of all these weighty topics um, all the injustice that you end up seeing along the way in your work, whether it's it's w- with the center or if it's in your your classes at Nate's, you're encountering injustice and you recognize, I mean, as you've talked about already, some of your own participation in it. Um, how do you give yourself grace? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of answers to that question. Um, I think the the most formative stuff that I experience um, in in the difficulty uh, comes in in being in relationship with with indigenous cousins and, and mentors and, and elders. Um, I've had extraordinary acts of, of healing uh, and grace um, after burnout, actually, um, in the in the context of uh, of ceremony um, with, with some indigenous elders. Um, and yeah, moments like that are, are pretty extraordinary. Um, and they um, they create one of those, uh, how would you put it, uh, kind of a, a heart burning within um, kind of reality, right? A, a seed planted that just stays there um, and, and you recognize it as, as truth and beauty. Um, so I've had that experience a, a good number of times and, and that's... Um, gas in the tank, uh, that's conviction, that's peace, uh, all of it. Um, so that's the weighty side of it. Um, experienced burnout, um, I guess it's four, maybe five years ago now. And uh, when that happened, my, my doctor said, uh, get outside. Um, hmm. And I've taken it very seriously since then. Um, uh, that winter, I uh, uh, sort of uh, indulged my habit uh, of skiing, um, which is just, it's, it's exquisite. You know, um, the, the wind in your hair, a little bit of speed, and then getting into tree skiing. It's, it's quiet and peaceful and, and challenging and just exhilarating. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have the same experience, you know, when I'm uh, able to go for a, a walk with uh, my wife, Michelle, uh, just in, in the, the woods west of here. Um, mm. One of the extraordinary gifts of the pandemic, actually, has been the fact that, you know, I walk west of here or bike west of here multiple times a week and see the rhythms of creation out there, right? Um, mm. That's my relative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? and, and 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 seeing creator's character um, in, in that expression is just a beautiful thing. So, coming to an understanding of, of creation and land as an expression of rest um, and rhythm, um, I, I find just a, a real blessing, uh, and that's 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 a way that I stay healthy. Uh, because you know these these hard things, they, as as you mentioned, Chris, they, they come regularly. Um, rather than running from them now, uh, I expect them, and I I'm, I'm very deliberate about taking care. Um, and being outside is critical to that. 
Mike, I'm, I'm wondering, so I'm like um, average church goer person, let's say. And, um, and I know God calls us all to be engaged in justice. And then I turn on the news and I see, wow, there's, there's conflict in Israel and Palestine. And um, there's a Black Lives Matter protest in my neighborhood. And um, every time I catch the bus, I, I pass this guy who's, who's sitting there and he, and he asked me for money. And, and I know there's a need for a refugee family in my church. And so I wonder if sometimes, like, what does it look like? to act justly, to live justly and not feel frozen because the need is so great. Like, is it okay to pick one thing? Do you know what I mean? That I I wonder sometimes if, because it feels like so much and I don't know where to begin and I don't know how to practice justice in my daily life, that I just freeze and don't do anything besides an offering plate donation. So what does that look like in everyday life? It's a a good question and and one we we often hear. Um, I'd answer yes. Is is it okay to pick one thing? Absolutely. Um, You know, I I think, Karen, that God places circumstances in our our path and in our walk um, that are sometimes messages uh, that we need to pay attention to. Uh, for, for me, that's been um, uh, Indigenous people. Um, and that's, you know, there's a variety of long-running reasons for that. Um, in other cases, you know, it, it could be the, the homeless person who you bump into on the, on the way to work every morning, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, I think one of the profound realities of, of injustice in the world, uh, it almost doesn't matter what, uh, is uh, relationships, right? Um, yeah. Uh, people are ignored. Um, their uh, humanity is ignored. Their um, their challenges are ignored, and so forth. So, a simple act of justice is saying to the the, the homeless addict on the on the on the street, "What's your name? And can I buy you a coffee?" Okay. Yeah. That can be a seed. Okay that may result in something. But just being attentive to those opportunities Hmm. is a way to begin to be drawn into a journey that may take you into something, you know, as profound as activism or not, right? Um, Right. But just being attentive to the moment, I I think being present in that moment um, is is critical. Uh, Everything... When it comes to justice, you know, all those things that you've mentioned uh, are important, um, but we can't do everything, right? Right. Um, so, you know, recognizing that our, our callings are, are complex um, uh, and, and it's important that we stay healthy, um, finding that balance, being attentive, being prayerful, um, recognizing all of this as an integrated spiritual journey, I think is a really critical uh, Uh, posture. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. That is so helpful. I think you've hinted at it a few different times by um, naming, um, you know, people like Harold, but also talking about younger generations coming. How in this journey for you is that 
um, intergenerational, that cross-generation interaction, how does that, how is that shaping your faith formation by getting outside of your own peer group, people your age, and, and hearing both older and younger voices? How, how does that shape you? Well, first of all, one of my favorite things to, to do um, is, is to, to mentor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's, it's extraordinary. We, we have uh, chances to interact with uh, interns uh, and, and students uh, on a fairly regular uh, basis. And what they bring um, to, to our work and, and our, our learning in terms of energy is, uh, is really refreshing, first of all. Um, the questions are new and fresh and, you know, lots of wide eyes and excitement, which is good to be reminded of, um, um, you know, for a, a grizzled old cynic. Um, <laughs> so that, that's, that's a gift in and of itself. And that, that, that sounds paternalistic, but I mean it in all seriousness. Yep. Um, uh, those young people often ask questions that, that cause me to think about things in, in new and different ways uh, too. Um, to, yeah, sort of deepen that, that really healthy journey of unsettlement. Right. Um, uh, and, you know, for me, uh, a lot of these mentors, mentees are, are young women, uh, which is, I don't know why that is, but it just happens that way. Um, so as as a you know an older privileged man, um, those questions um, cause me to think um, in, in different ways and confront some of my own biases and stereotypes in, in really healthy ways. So I appreciate that intergenerational aspect. In terms of elders, uh, the other end of the generational spectrum, um, I th- I think. Um, I've, I've learned so much uh, from, from Indigenous elders uh, in, in the past that um, I've recognized in many ways that our Western culture has, uh, by and large, um, forgotten the gift um, that, that elders are. Mm. Um, I think that has everything to do with uh, the the ide- ideology of progress, you know, everything moving forward. And yeah. you know, if, if you're not fast enough, get out of the yep. way. Um, yeah. And you know, both theologically and culturally, that that leads to, um, frankly, a lot of wreckage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and even even um, systemic violence sometimes. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we've seen that in in some of the crises and long term care during the pandemic. Yeah. Yep. Not to get yeah. too political here, but yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, I've I've had the extraordinary privilege of, of sitting with um, elders uh, for long periods of time, um, and uh, encountering the spirit in in, in those circumstances um, in ways that um, soothe the soul and and um, deepen meaning. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, that could be in a, in a in a camp someplace, you know, with, with beside a sacred fire. But it could also be, you know, on the phone with Gerald Benazani twenty five mm-hmm. years ago. Um, mm-hmm. uh, recognizing the gifts of the elders um, is something that this culture needs. Um, yeah. 
at the same time, you know, when we see the 215 and, and so forth, we need to recognize too that um, uh, we have uh, sins uh, to atone for in the past. Yeah. Um, so uh, the gifts of the elders also come with responsibilities. Yeah. Um, and some of those gifts are not gifts at all. Um, yeah. So the legacies are thing, things we need to, to pay attention to. And that gets into you know, the whole uh, responsibility element of, of us as the church of all times and all places, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> right? Um, corporate sin, um, uh, Neil Platica puts it this way, uh, is, a, is a, a great matrix of, of, of evil across generations. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we uncritically accept um uh, the legacy of, 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 of past generations uh, without considering prayerfully, humbly uh, that legacy uh, in the light of, 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 you know, new information and testimony. Um, uh, we do a disservice to the church and ministry. Um, yeah. I've often said um, that I, I consider reconciliation to be critical to the integrity of the church. Um, mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that it's critical for us to probe uh, those realities of corporate and generational sin and, and their implications on us uh, in terms of ministry, uh, in terms of politics, in, in terms of spirituality. Right? They all have an implications. Um, yeah. And they all have implications for the integrity of ministry. So, um, yeah wrestling with those things honestly um is is critical and and the 215 and far too many others remind us of that today yeah. in can in canada um, but anywhere where we have a colonial legacy of mission uh, which is the the truth for the crc yeah. all over the world we we need to confront those sins for the sake of integrity yeah. mike this has, i wish we had another hour this has been so rich. Um, thank you for prodding us and, but, but also reminding us that things are incremental. Um, thanks for encouraging us. Um, and, and using words like intent, attentiveness and listening in the midst of mediocrity and disappointment. One last question for you. So the logo for the open to wonder podcast is actually a pew bench outside in the grass we've pulled it out of the church and we think of it as kind of a pew park bench a place where you sit and you wonder and you have conversation about things and so we're wondering what's one thing that you've been curious about lately one thing that you found yourself wondering about i i thought a bit about this question in advance i'm not sure i have a good answer <laughs> that's okay uh, uh, Maybe it gets back to what I said earlier about the the rhythms of, of creation. Mm. Um, I found the, the the pandemic to to be interesting in that respect because it's 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 pushed me outside even more uh, than normal, um, and I've noticed you know the rhythms of, of creation on on that trail just west of here, uh, which has been a gift. Um, I think I wonder. You know, if if the church is going to be in a space to to you know think about what new rhythms um, 
are for us now? You know, how are we attentive to yeah. what the pandemic has taught us? I'm really curious about that because mm-hmm. I think I think there's a lot of promise in that. Right? I do too. Uh, the, the pandemic has extraordinary negatives, but it also has positives that we need to pay attention to. Um, yeah. And I'm, I, I look forward to that. Uh, I also know that saying that out loud uh, can be a little unsettling for people. Yeah. Uh, yep. At the same time, I think we need to ask the question and we need to, to push ourselves to answer it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. God is on the move. Amen. <laughs> uh, thank you, Mike. Um, we've really appreciated the time today. Um, for those listening, uh, you can get in touch with Mike via email at mhogaterp at crcna.ca. And you can learn more about heart, the Hearts Exchange Program uh, by going to crcna.org backslash hearts dash exchanged. We'll make sure uh, both of those contact pieces are in our uh, promo material uh, so you can find it there. Thanks again, Mike. Uh, it's so been a much, pleasure. Mike. A real pleasure. Thanks. Open to Wonder is a podcast by Faith Formation Ministries. If you've enjoyed wondering with us, leave us a review. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at CRC Faith Formation, on Twitter at CRC underscore FFM, or you can send us an email at faithformation at crcna.org. And we love hearing from our listeners, so please do. You can also find us online where we share toolkits and resources for growing faith. And all of those are in the show notes. Thanks for listening.